Welcome to AAA Sky. Today, we have a real treat for our listeners. Rather than an interview with an astronomer or a historian, as we usually do, we have a grand debate starring our president, Brian Berg, and executive vice president, Bart Freed. And the subject is a timely one, namely, who should best be conducting space launches, NASA or private companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin? I'm Kat Troach. And I'm Stanley Ferdinand. AAA Sky is produced by the Amateur Astronomers Association of New York, whose mission is to promote the study of astronomy and to emphasize its cultural and inspirational value. Find out more about the AAA at AAA.org. I also want to take this opportunity to introduce to you the newest member of the AAA Sky team who just spoke to you, Kat Troche. Kat is the editor of the AAA's newsletter, Eyepiece, and co-chair of our observing committee. She's also a solar system ambassador for NASA and conducts astronomy-related outreach via social media under the name Kuiper Cat. First, here's a word from our president, Brian Berg. Hello, and welcome back to AAA Sky, the official podcast of the Amateur Astronomers Association of New York. I am Brian Berg, the president of AAA. I hope that you all are going to our website as spring comes here to New York. We're a little bit away, but it's on the way. And we will start our outdoor observing soon. That's, of course, on top of everything else that we offer with our lectures and our classes in astrophotography and loading telescopes out to the public and everything else that we do. It's almost too much to mention. But you're all here to listen to an informative, entertaining, stimulating podcast, and boy, do we have one for you this month. Bart Freed, the vice president of AAA, and your humble president, myself, Brian Berg, debate and evaluate the efficacy of NASA, the efficacy of private space companies such as SpaceX, and the purpose of these companies, and whether they're good for America, whether they're good for the world, whether they're good for space exploration, or maybe they're not. Tune in to find out and listen to Bart and myself stay mostly civil as we have a very informative debate on this. I hope you all enjoy listening to it as much as Bart and I enjoyed participating in it. Please, of course, leave comments afterwards. Feel free to declare who you think won the debate Hint, hint, wink, wink. And with that said, here we go. Hello, AAA Sky listeners. We have a real treat in store for you today. I'm here with the president of the AAA, Brian Berg as well as our executive vice president, Bart Freed, who is neither of whom is any stranger to you. We're here to debate a timely topic of our day, namely, who should ideally be conducting space missions, NASA or private companies, and why? Each of the two of you, Brian and Bart, has a strong opinion on the subject, some strong opinions on the subject. So why don't we open the discussion by each of you just stating in very general terms what you think, and then we can go over the issues in more detail. Brian, do you want to start? Of course I do. 
Why would I want Bart to go before me? <laughs> so hello, everybody. And what this debate topic conversation is about, as Stan just said, is where are we with the state of things? As humanity has known it now for 70 or so years, governments control what happens in outer space. And really, it's only been two governments up until very recently, Russia and America. And now all of a sudden, because of the greatly reduced cost and the greatly increased uh, technology that's behind space exploration, other governments are involved and private enterprises involved. So with that, to me, as the basis for what we're talking about, I think that I would start off by saying that NASA's role has morphed from just doing everything to being more of an advisory arm of the government. And that, to me, is where NASA should be, and that's its place at this point as other governments and companies have become involved in exploration. Okay, Bart, do you agree with that? Uh, no, as usual, I completely disagree with my uh, fine president. First of all, governments uh, no longer control space, and they never did. Uh, in fact, if they did, the U.S. would never let uh, the Soviet Union put Sputnik up. Um, there's never been control in space, and co countries, in spite of a treaty that we uh, supposedly have, have always done what they wanted to do. Uh, another thing that I think uh, Brian is probably not old enough to understand is that NASA never did, quote-unquote, everything. And in fact, we never would have gotten into space if NASA did everything, because almost all of uh, the, the rockets and all of the landers uh, that NASA ever put into space were built by private contractors. Uh, so private contractors have been working with us in space from the very beginning. Um, I think the, the, the difference in, in our approach to this is that, I'd, and also... Stanley, I would say I don't think it's an either-or situation where it's either NASA or private contractors. I think it's, uh, and currently it's somewhat of a partnership. It will always be, I think, a partnership. Uh, but the partnership works both ways. And currently it flows into the Elon Musks of the world. Uh, what they give back is only what they're contracted for, but they're also using the technology transfer for their own pockets for other projects. And my fear is we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, okay. Stan, so Stan, Stan, I would like to uh, have a minute to rebut that. Rebut away. Phenomenal. <laughs> so uh, aside from the fact that I have apparently just stopped sucking my thumb within the last six months, uh, regardless of whatever my age is, I believe that I know history well enough that NASA and those private companies that built whatever it is that we've used, we being the United States to go into space, those things have only been built because NASA directed these private companies to do so. And that was done in the 60s because they were given copious amounts of money because of the space race. Since then, it's been basically begging for money. And all these private companies, uh, really spearheaded by Boeing and then Boeing, Boeing's partnership in, uh, with ULA, have existed because NASA asked them to build something with lots of money being dangled in front of them. And that's a very different concept than having private companies just doing something.
Yeah, well, I think what you're, uh, let me rephrase what you just said, Brian. Um, I think there's been a difference in risk management that has occurred over the past several years in that, yes, it's true that everything that NASA built or flew was built by private companies historically, including Apollo and even Mercury, et cetera. But the difference with today is that NASA took 100% of the risk on all of those because they were time and materials projects, time and materials, uh, as opposed to uh, Elon Musk building the Falcon 9 on his own dime and taking the risk of if it fails, it's his failure, but and, and he doesn't get, you know, there's a, there's a huge difference um, in NASA saying, we, as, as you said, we will pay you to do this um, as opposed, we will pay you to spend your time doing this as opposed to uh, you built it, you own it, and we want to rent it from you, which is what they're doing with the commercial crew. So since you kind of got into um, finance in this, let's talk about finance in a few, a little bit more detail. So as, as we all know or should know, NASA's total budget is on the order of 20 something billion dollars a year with which it does everything or it tries to do everything that it's asked to do. Um, and that as a piece of the over $4 trillion federal budget is an astonishingly tiny piece. It's less than half of 1% of the federal budget. So uh, let's get this one out of the way first. There, there are those who say that the taxpayer's money would be better spent on concrete projects here on Earth. Um, can you at least, the two of you, can you at least agree as to whether money given to NASA is well spent? Um, I think it's well spent. Uh, I would agree that it is a minuscule amount and it should be, you know, 10 times or 20 times what we spend. I mean, that's like the, the cost of an aircraft carrier. You know, it's what we spend on NASA uh, or maybe two aircraft carriers. But, you know, that who needs another aircraft carrier? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the other thing I might add is that that budget number, the 20 billion that is NASA's budget, does not include the value of the spinoff inventions that have come from NASA. Um, and you might argue, it, you know, it's arguable that if we took into account the monetary value to society, of the things that NASA has put into space or inventions that it has created along the way, you might say that NASA is a bit a highly profitable activity rather than a cost center. Do you have any reaction to that? So uh, let me correct and uh, a couple of things that both of you gentlemen have said, uh, which is the first one, uh, Stan, Stan, when you said a few minutes ago about Falcon 9 being funded purely by SpaceX. That's not actually true. It was funded by SpaceX and NASA. Uh, as far as Bart's comments uh, about not needing another aircraft carrier or such, it's not really a correction about that, but I think that it actually gets to the problem here, which is we're dealing with government allocations. So uh, uh, let me just rattle off a couple of very quick facts. So for this commercial crew that I think you're starting to reference here. So when this happened, there was about $7 billion offered by NASA to 
going to be two companies, competitors, to build the next commercial crew. About four and a half was given to uh, Boeing to build the Starliner. About two and a half was given to SpaceX. And that four and a half that was given to Boeing, the Starliner still hasn't even uh, shown that it could be launched properly. And the two and a half, less than half of that, less than half the amount that Boeing got, or about half the amount that Boeing got, that, that Boeing received, the SpaceX capsule is functioning perfectly. And the reason I bring this up, and for the record, I know there are people out there who are big Elon Musk fanboys, and I know that I could be accused of that also, but I would reject that. And the reason I reject that is this has nothing to do with the fan being a fanboy. This has to do with dealing with facts. And there are lots of things that I like about uh, Elon Musk. There's lots of things I dislike about Elon Musk, just about like every other human being that exists on this planet. Everyone has good and bad. But the bottom line is the Boeing Starline, of which they received $4.5 billion of our tax money, and the damn thing still can't launch properly. So that amount that Boeing said that Starliner will cost to launch is more than we've been paying for the Russians for the nine years that we paid Russians to launch our astronauts into space because we had no real way to do that per launch. And why is that? Well, here's my, here's my argument. And my argument is that Boeing, along with ULA, they've grown fat and happy because they have been given these giant NASA budgets, which is, again, our tax money as American taxpayers, as the primary uh, builders of these space vehicles. And they never had a reason to do better. They had a, never had a reason to move forward. And all of a sudden, you get these upstart companies like SpaceX, who says, hey, you know what, we could drive down the cost of doing anything in space. And they've done it by multiples because they invented a reusable rocket. And quite honestly, I find it pathetic that it took a, a new company to do that when ULA and Boeing itself have been around for how many decades? But again, that's the problem to me of when you have, hey, here's government money, just keep doing what you're doing, as opposed to here's some real competition. Uh, Bart, do you want to take that or you want me to? Well, let me ask a really quick factual question. What have we gotten back from Elon Musk other than launches? What, is, what has the U.S. gotten back for in terms of money that we've invested in SpaceX to help it. Now, yes, a lot of it's Elon's money, but a lot of it's our money. So, Stan, you mentioned that from NASA, we got back GPS. We got back, um, you know, uh, 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 squeezy uh, food pouches. We got back all kinds of technology. I mean, <laughs> I, I joke, I joke about that. And we, Most and importantly. We, yeah. You know, um, and we got Velcro and we got all kinds of, but really we got a lot of things back from NASA. And the question is with the private companies, what are we expected to get back? It's always been a one way street with them. And, and it's sort of a, a caveat to that is that, or not a caveat, but a, a, a relationship with that is that these companies, um, they're profit driven. So we're, they're not expected to give back. Right, but their profit—they're only profitable because the technology transfer that came from decades and decades and decades of of, of research, primary and secondary technological research in in the space business was handed to them. Elon Musk doesn't launch Rocket One if NASA wasn't there before him. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure about that, but uh, in any case. Um, there is, it's something that Elon mentioned years ago before the first Falcon 9 flew, which was 
that he had an incredible cost advantage over uh, NASA uh, creating rockets um, as, as the owner of those rockets in that SpaceX can, at least theoretically, optimize its operations to build them as efficiently as it possibly can. Whereas NASA, which gets its funding from Congress, has to build things in a multitude of different locations across different states to keep the congressional committees happy. So yeah, but who, who paid for the half a century of, of, of materials research? Not Elon Musk. If he had to pay for that, he wouldn't have that profit center. Right, but Bo- he, but he'd be in the lab now. But Boeing didn't pay for that either. We, the taxpayers, paid for that. Yes. I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree look, with look, that at all. But look, here's the bottom line. So, Stan, to your point exactly, so I don't know if either of you esteemed gentlemen have read it, but there's a report that was issued by NASA that's called the Falcon 9 Launch Vehicle Cost Estimates. This was put out in 2011. So Falcon 9, for those of you who don't know, this is the rocket that is launching uh, the capsules that SpaceX made into space, bringing our astronauts to the space station and, and so on and so forth. So this report issued by NASA states that it cost around a billion dollars to get the Falcon 9 rocket developed. If NASA, and remember, this is NASA's own report. And in NASA's own report, it said that if NASA was the one who would have developed this rocket, rocket it would have cost in excess of $4 billion. And some, of the primary reasons, and some of the primary reasons that were put in there were inefficient teams, bloated management, and unsteady budget guarantees, which is, again, I'm going you know, hand to mouth to Congress. So again, what we're dealing with here, and I'm not, look, it, it's not a matter of disagreeing with you because yeah, when you have a profit motive, well, then there's a problem. But what I'm trying to get across here is, and you know, we've seen this amongst our own members. We've seen this from other things we've read in the media. People, you know, some people are Elon Musk fanboys and other people are just, oh, it's private companies. They're going to be out to screw everyone because that's what private companies do. Well, on the other hand, like, so you trust your government for everything. And trust me, I'm not an anti-government person, but like, you don't think governments are going to screw people? I mean, hell, why do we have the Johnson Space Center? Why is that even in Texas when Texas generally has nothing to do with NASA? Well, we all know that if you go back to the 60s, that it was a bunch of politicians who basically said, well, hey, hey, president, if you want stuff you know, to happen for NASA for the space race, well, we want some of our share, too. And a number of the politicians lived in Texas. So to be, pre- to point- be precise, Brian, yeah, me Lyndon Johnson, forgive me, <laughs> uh, the president at that time was Lyndon Johnson, who came yeah, from Texas. Yeah. And that oh, I'm well aware. Johnson Space Center is in Houston. Um, uh, again, and, but the point, but the, the point is. the launches take place in Florida. Right. Yeah, why the, they call the, it Johnson Space Center. Yes, but the, the point is, but well, that's exactly my point, though, right? Because, so, okay, so we don't like private companies. We don't like government. What's the choice here? You know what it reminds me of? So, uh, for those who don't know, I teach a uh, business law class uh, as an adjunct professor for fun, if you can believe that. And I was actually just having a conversation with my students in the, in, uh, the last class, not necessarily space-related, but it was about equity and justice. And the students were talking about, uh, well, why is it that if somebody's you know, being tried for murder, that if they have no money, they're going to get a public defender? And hey, maybe it's a great public defender, maybe it's not, but probably not you know, a, uh, a graduate from the top 1% of the class of the top 1% of a law school. And I said, well, let me put it a di- different way to you. Because, of course, uh, you know, especially young students are always like, we want fairness and we want equity and all that other stuff. And my comment to them was, okay, that's fine. So if you want to hire a law student just out of law school from a top tier law school, 
they might be making a quarter million dollars at 25 years old out of law school. So if you're going to pay a public defender a quarter million dollars, guess what? You're going to need massive tax allocation. Your taxes have to go up. So uh, all of you, especially those who are working, this is what I said to my class, are you ready to have your taxes raised in a massive amount so that everybody could have a phenomenal public defender? And of course, all of a sudden, you know, most of them were kind of like, uh, you know what, screw those people who are being tried for murder. And my point in saying this is, there's a point where we have to say, okay, maybe private business does suck. But then again, we have issues with government that we live in a capitalistic society. We haven't reached the beautiful socialism of Star Trek yet. So if money talks, you got to go by what money says. Let's talk a little bit more about risk and reward. Um, to be fair, all we got from SpaceX on the commercial coup program was rental of vehicles to ferry astronauts and cargo up uh, to... Hold on. What about, the, what about the cost savings? It's a significant cost wait, savings. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not there I don't think yet. that could be I'm discounted. Not, I just, it, it was said by one of you that all we got was, um, you know, carrying people up and down to low Earth orbit. But that's all the contract calls for. So if they fulfill on what they're supposed to fulfill on the contract and you're not happy, well, that's not their fault. And that's a problem with, well, maybe we shouldn't have done that contract. I think Commercial Crew has been an, an unqualified success. So... Uh, let's talk a little bit about risk and reward. As I, as I just said, the commercial crew program has been a success. Um, how, you know, whether we attribute that all to SpaceX and Elon Musk or to the taxpayers, however we finance that, um, it's, uh, it's cheaper than renting seats on Soyuz. Um, but, and, and therefore, Commercial crew has demonstrated that ferrying astronauts and cargo up and down to low Earth, orbit, low Earth orbit is a real business. You can make a profit doing that. And it's uh, fairly well established how to do that. It's not really exploratory. It's, uh, other, it's, it's, it's an ongoing operational business that you can make money at. Um, but if you look at other things that NASA does, like sending scientific missions or sending probes to the outer solar system, um, to date, that's only been NASA and other space agencies, um, whether the Japanese or the, even the Israelis or the Chinese or the Indians, etc. Um, that, that is, as it stands today, that's not a business. It may become a business someday, but you you can't make money at that today unless you're you know unless you're just getting a handout from NASA. But uh, so do you one? Do you two agree with that? Do you see that changing? I'm I'm basically distinguishing between um, exploratory science and operational travel, if you will. Well. First, I'm going to correct you. Elon Musk did send a uh, a, uh, a car a, a car out into space, and that's basically advertising for his car, which is great. So that's about the only way he's going to make money sending anything out of low Earth orbit, and he knows it. And all this talk about him going to Mars is it's not going to be in your lifetime or mine, and probably not Brian's either, because there's no money in it. Right. And he's all about the money. 
but but there are there are even deeper problems. You mentioned about mining and, and making money in space, right? Uh, the problem is control and governance. Okay, so there's a treaty, and most uh, I think 111 nations are signed to the treaty, and then there are others that are signatories but haven't necessarily ratified it. And this treaty says what they can and can't do in space. And the problem is that you can't have any kind of governance unless you have enforcement. So right now in space, there's zero enforcement. And in fact, the treaty's already been broken in numerous ways by the U.S. as well as other countries. I won't even get into that. But it brings up the risk part of your risk and reward. The real risk with private companies and why I think NASA always has to have a capability of getting itself into space on behalf of our government is because we can't trust companies. And a classic example is that that Mr. Musk has already proven is he's launching Starlink uh, really, as far as I know, with <laughs> kind of no permission. He just decided he's going to launch it. Um, whether he got approval to do the launches, yes, he got approval to do the launches. Uh, right now, astronomers all over the world are signing documents left and right, calling him to task for it. But he's not the only company. Guess what? There's two other companies launching. Uh, these these uh, cell phone satellites, right? So you have that. Now, I'm going to take it really a stretch further for a second. Let's take, for example, uh, the 1981 science fiction thriller, right, which with Sean Connery called, uh, um, it was Outland, and it was high noon in space, right? This was a private company using illegal drugs to get higher mining production on I.O., Right, that's the basis. And there's a sheriff in town. And the sheriff in town is Sean Connery, and uh, he's going to get killed by the mining company goons. Right? So there's the high, moon, high noon part. The problem is, are drugs illegal in space? Who controls it? What laws? What country? Right? What's to take, what's to keep Elon Musk from saying, you know what? I don't like my competitors in space. I'm going to put a satellite up and get rid of theirs. Who's going to tell me no? And who's well, actually, going to punish that would be in violation of the treaty. He's um, not a signer of the treaty. Those are yeah, countries. Yeah, but the U.S. government is. So what if and, he launches from French Guiana or somewhere else? Let's say he builds his own station on an island. He buys his own island. You, you understand my point? I do. What you're, yeah. well, what, you're, what you're describing is the fact that low Earth orbit, as of today, is thoroughly unregulated. It's unregulated on a national basis, and it's certainly unregulated on an international basis. And therefore, as there are no laws governing that, Elon and uh, Jeff Bezos is also trying, and others are just jumping into that space, pun intended. Um, but the problem is that that comes at a high cost because there's all kinds of externalities with filling up low Earth orbit with thousands upon thousands of satellites, starting with something that's near and dear to the hearts of the AAA astrophotographers and observers in that we see the satellite, the reflections from the satellites through our telescopes or in our photos. But what's even worse than what it does to amateur astronomers is what it does, I would say, to professional astronomers, because the radio interference of thousands of these satellites um, would, I've read, would could more or less eliminate radio astronomy from the surface of the Earth. 
And that would be a major problem in that we do use radio astronomy for, among other things, detecting near-Earth objects that have a risk of uh, crashing into the Earth. May I respond, Mr. Please. Moderator? Okay, so a couple of things here. So uh, for those who don't know what Bart was referring to, and you got to love the, as always, uh, things with uh, government, or I shouldn't say always, but often being bloated, or even the name of this treaty is bloated. So the actual uh, Outer Space Treaty, as it's uh, commonly known, the full name is Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the Moon and other celestial bodies. And that mouthful was done in 1967, where we hadn't even landed on the moon yet. Uh, mining wasn't a thought. Neither were communication, satellite servicing, things such as that. Interestingly enough, from the legal perspective, and what's happened is a number of senators and congresspeople in America, include, uh, that's aside from elected officials around the world and other countries who have uh, signatories to this, have said that they don't want to change this. They don't want to update it, which sounds bizarre because we say, okay, well, this thing is so damn old. Of course it needs to be updated. But their concern is, well, if we update it, that means we're scrapping it. And if we scrap it, this thing is so tenuously held together at this point that if it goes away, there's no way we'll get anything to replace it. And again, the issue here is, believe it or not, I, I don't really disagree with Bart so much. I just think Bart is being biased by seeing the fault in private companies, which is, do we all recall, was it the 1980s? Bart, yes, believe it or not, I, if I don't remember the 1980s, I've read about them, which is that uh, there was, uh, what, Star Wars? And not the movies. I'm referring to the missile system, right? So you could easily argue, easily, that that is going against, if not literally, it's going against the intentions of that outer space treaty to put, you know, That's space exactly lasers up there. That's exactly what the Russians said. At the of time. course they did. And uh, I know that I will be misquoted from, for saying this, but I agree with the Russians because that was uh, definitely against the flavor of the outer space treaty, if not uh, exactly explicitly against it. So the point is, all that I'm trying to say again is if we have governments that do good and bad, and we have private companies that do good and bad, I don't know how we have the ability to say which one is better or worse. I know that it has it troubles me because I don't know how to do that. Because look, on the other side of things, as I said, I try to be fair and unbiased. Uh, SpaceX, at this point, are they a competitor or a supplier to NASA? I don't know. They're kind of a little bit of both. SpaceX is kind of also a one-man show. Right. If Elon Musk disappears, we know that he is, you know, in a sense of the P.T. Barnum of our time. And I don't say that it's, he's doing uh, nothing, but he is a showman. And if he disappears, what happens to the value of SpaceX, Tesla and whatever the companies he, he is uh, running? Those are concerns. But what I'm trying to say is, why not put NASA in the driver's seat and say, hey, if this is going to be American based stuff, with American-based taxpayer funding, let NASA oversee things. But to have NASA at this point in time, after, again, Bart, I agree with you, laying an amazing groundwork by working with Boeing and other companies in the past so that newer companies could build on what they've done, let NASA now oversee those companies. But for NASA itself, again, going back to that 2011 report of the Falcon 9, saying that it would have cost us at least four times as much, and four times includes $4 billion, as much to develop the Falcon 9 rocket, to me, that's NASA saying, 
we no longer could do this in a way that serves the taxpayers of the United States whose money we're using. Let them be overseers and let them make private companies do the right thing. And I want to point out one other thing here. And I actually made a list of this very quickly. I'm going to, I'm going to talk very quickly. U.S. Department of Commerce, NOAA, in, which includes NESDES, an office of space commerce, uh, NTIA, U.S. Department of Defense, including Space Force, U.S. Department of State, including Office of Emergency Security Challenges, Office of Space and Advanced Technology, and the U.S. Department of Transportation, including the Office of Commercial Space, space Transportation. All of those and more are government arms that are involved in trying to regulate what happens in space. I mean, talk about bloated. Why? Why does this exist? Let's streamline this. And let's do this in a smart way. And if private companies are going to use taxpayer money, let's get a real good oversight of this thing and make sure they're doing what's in the best interest of us taxpayers. That's my feelings well, I'm, on it. I'm, I'm sure that Bart has a lot to say uh, in response to that. But let me just point out that the big change has been in the past, NASA did time and materials contracts with its suppliers. So if they took longer and it costs more to build something, NASA had NASA ponied up to, and that obviously, well, Bart, you'll comment on that in a second. We're now, the, the two contracts for the commercial crew are fixed price contracts. And that's what I meant when I said that it's the private companies that are taking the risk. Um, Bart, go ahead. Okay, so first, let's ask, how much has Musk agreed to pay back the United States on the profit he's going to make from his cell phone service in space based on technology and money that came from the U.S. government to SpaceX? Okay, so that's a, sort of a rhetorical question because I know the answer is zero. Right? Uh, I was ready to answer it, but okay. Okay, and second, okay, when, when we... Well, uh, you're going to love this, Brian, because it's another film reference. I know you're a film buff. In 1971, let's go back even further. Right after we put men on the moon, James Bond had an antagonist, Blofeld, in Diamonds Are Forever, who wanted to uh, hold the world uh, hostage by aiming a laser from space to destroy Washington, D.C. Now, that's far-fetched, but is it? What's to keep Elon Musk from getting a contract to launch a satellite from, let's say, Pakistan, who happens to be a nuclear country? Pakistan has nuclear weapons. And they pay Elon or some other private entity to launch a rocket that has a warhead in it. And they don't like their arch enemy, India. So now they hold India hostage or whomever. So the idea that it's far-fetched isn't so far-fetched. Now, one last point I want to make. What happens if Elon decides tomorrow, or God forbid, let's say he gets hit by a bus, and his directors of his company say, you know what, we don't want to be in a rocket business anymore, or we just don't want to do business with the government anymore. There's too many controls. They're already pissed at us for putting up uh, Starlink, right? And we don't, we don't need that kind of imperial complication. So we're out of the business. Where does that leave us then, Brian? We have nobody to rely on. And as I mentioned, I agree with you. If you, if you recall a few moments ago, I said one of the issues is SpaceX is a one-man show. It's Elon, right? The, the showman. And I admit to that. What I don't admit to is that's not a reason to say, well, let's just keep wasting taxpayer money. It's taxpayer money. We are, we've, what was the news last week? The U.S. has passed a $30 trillion deficit, which isn't exactly true, by the way. There's funny money on both sides of that to account for that. But regardless, $30 trillion deficit. If you can stomach 
Again, I'm going to keep repeating it. NASA itself saying it would have taken us $4 billion more dollars to build a rocket than a private company did. I don't know that I can stomach that. I don't know if that's the way things should be done. But very quickly, because I know we have to wrap this up. Stan, if I can go back to what you said in the beginning, I'll be very brief, which is really what's the purpose here? What are we trying to accomplish? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think we are natural explorers. I think one of the reasons why we see uh, such great separation in our society and, you know, what we see in America is not just in America. I mean, hell, even in Canada, they're having issues. And, you know, when, when people protest the government in Canada, you know, you got problems in humanity. And I would argue that one of the reasons that this is happening, or one of the primary reasons why this is happening, is that people are looking up to sports stars. They're looking up to the Kardashians. They're looking up to people who, by and large, are not of consequence to society. And that wonderlust, that dream factor, that exploration factor of why we are doing what we're doing, when I say we, I mean those who are involved in science, is lacking. And I think NASA is doing a poor job, quite honestly, of getting that point across of why, and it's not just uh, Elon, right? NASA also has Mars in its sight. Why? Why are we concerned about the Earth? Why do we need to become a multiplanetary society? What are those things that the three of us know about that have come from NASA, such as uh, Velcro and MRIs and so on and so forth? But the general public doesn't know that stuff. And to me, what it really comes down to is getting the word out that while we when governments argue and they try to get people worked up into a, into a lather saying, oh, Russia yet again is our enemy. Meanwhile, we've been working with Russia on the scientific side. And that's the majority of people. But yet people lose sight of that. And that, to me, is the problem. The word is not out there. And whether it's NASA's fault or people just not having an interest on it, it is a problem. And people have to get that wanderlust back into their minds. Bart, I'm going to give you a chance to speak in a second. I just want to say, this is not at all about NASA bashing. Um, I think given NASA is doing, I'm a fan of NASA. I think NASA is doing a wonderful job given the constraints that within which it has to live, such as you have to spend money in, in 20 different states in order to build anything. Um, it's but And also, the issue that both of you raised about what happens if Elon um, gets hit by a car or if SpaceX decides to do something else, that is precisely the reason why NASA contracted multiple suppliers for commercial crew. It's just that uh, you, Boeing ULA just hasn't been able to deliver the goods yet. But uh, I think NASA has been acting rationally in all of this. That's all I'm going to say. Bart? No, I'm, I'm actually excited about the future in terms of the Artemis program. Uh, I'm disappointed in the Webb telescope program. Uh, talk about you know, cost overruns and delays. Uh, however, I understand it given the uh, problem that happened with Hubble being launched and then having to be repaired and repaired again uh, until it finally was working optimally. Uh, I'm sure there was an overabundance of caution with the web. But the Artemis program uh, seems to have moved forward uh, fairly rapidly. I mean, it's behind schedule. It is not uh, ridiculously behind schedule. And uh, I think we're going to see people back on the moon next year. 
Uh, I think given the time constraints, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to stop this at this point and continue this on some other time. Uh, I'll ask you each for a final statement, if you will. Bart? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very optimistic about the future uh, of both NASA and uh, its private contractors. I'm concerned that the private contractors are uh, so early on in this uh, handshake are kind of out of control a little bit, you know, starting to put up satellites on their own uh, that uh, are, you know, detrimental to certain parts of our society, you know, just to line their own pockets. I think uh, that we definitely need to redo the Outer Space Treaty, as it's colloquially called. And um, it's a real issue about how us Earthlings, you know, proceed into space when we have different countries down here and we can't get along and we're always at each other's throats. Uh, you know, fortunately, space is really big. Maybe we all go our own separate ways. <clears throat> but I think that's uh, probably not going to happen. So uh, it's a, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good news, bad news situation for me right now. Okay, Brian. So again, I think that Bart and I have a lot in common, believe it or not, when it comes to this topic. And what that means is we both want the best for both America and the world, for humanity in general. The issue is, how do we control what's happening in space? And I think really that's the issue here, which is it's a control factor. And can we entrust NASA with, in the United States, with continuing to oversee things when we see our politics getting more and more divided, our people getting more and more divided? And that's obviously where the budget comes from for NASA. And that's where all decisions ultimately come from. Or do we go to private business where we hope that these private businesses are doing what they are contracted to do? and not just for a pure profit motive. And I would argue that there are issues, significant issues on both of those sides. I wish I knew what the answer was. I don't. Your concerns, Bart, as far as uh, uh, Elon Musk or a successor to Elon Musk going mad and launching something bad from a country that's not a signatory to uh, the Outer Space Treaty, I agree with that. I, can, I concur. But at the same time, again, in the 1980s, the U.S. tried to put uh, space lasers in space. So is it a damned if you do, damned if you don't, devil you know, any other ridiculous type of expression like that we can come up with argument? It might be. What I do know is, is that there are things happening because of technology that would have never been envisioned that we've discussed, such as mining, mining uh, asteroids and putting up a... a, a million uh, small uh, sat cubes and things such as that. Never envisioned. Ne ne never, that was certainly not in anyone's minds or any, on anyone's radar, uh, particularly in 1967 when the Outer Space Treaty was made. Which is why my feeling is, and yes, competition is clearly good, but I'm going to go back again. If NASA is admitting that they are so bloated at this point that they cannot compete on a dollars and cents basis with private companies, why not use NASA for what I think NASA is great at or used to be great at, which is management 
and let them oversee these things. Let them oversee these American-based companies. As far as if a company goes to another country and, uh, and acts unilaterally, I don't know how the world could stop it because that's not an American issue anymore. That's a worldwide humanity issue. And I don't know how you prevent something like that happening on a, on a bad level. But as far as American-based space exploration factors, I would love to see NASA say, you know what, we are going to oversee, everything has to be cleared through us and it has to have a, a purpose that we and our benefactors, which are the taxpayers agree with. That is my resolution to this. Okay, so I'm gonna stop it there. This has been a very stimulating and a wonderful discussion. I mean, we didn't even have, to, we didn't even get into talking about space mining very much. So maybe we should continue this some other time. Um, but in any case, this is uh, a discussion that I'm sure some of our listeners will also have opinions on. So everyone, please write to us at sky at AAA.org to share your opinions and thoughts on this subject and on this debate with us. And uh, until then, I thank you both, Bart and Brian, for this wonderful discussion. Thanks for being part of AAA Sky. And now it's time for the AAA Sky Listener Challenge, where we ask you a question about a previous episode, and we award a prize to the winner, selected at random from among all the correct answers. In our last episode for the Listener Challenge, we asked you in which neighborhood in New York City was Jacob Campbell's huge observatory in the 19th century located? How did our listeners do, Stan? Well, I have to admit, this one stumped a lot of people. The correct answer is Brooklyn Heights where Campbell's observatory thoroughly dominated the view of the heights as seen from the harbor or from Manhattan. It's since been replaced by the BQE in the Brooklyn Heights promenade. But in any case, we do have a winner with the correct answer, whose name is Ava Shaw. Congratulations, Ava. We'll be contacting you to get your preferred size for your AAA Sky hoodie and your mailing address. Congratulations, Ava. So Stan, what's our listener challenge for today? Well, our question for today is, Matthias Schmidt told us that the greatest concentration of dark sky parks in the world is in one of the 50 US states. Which one did he say it was? You can enter by sending your answer in an email to listenerchallenge at aaa.org. Be sure to get your entry in by the deadline of midnight, March 10th, Eastern Standard Time for a chance to win a hoodie. And if you're not a member, stop by AAA.org to hear more about the AAA and how you can become part of it. Use the code AAASKY22, that's AAASKY22, to get a 15% discount on your first year membership fees. And if you want to contact us at AAASKY, you can email us at AAASKY, that's AAASKY, at AAA.org. Keep your comments coming. That's our show. Tune in next month to hear our interview with Dr. George Greenstein about quantum mechanics. AAA Sky Audio Editing and Original Music is by Preston Stolley. Our technical producer is Parker Bossier.